All right, welcome everyone to Tiger Talk. It is October 22nd. It is Thursday. I'm Peter Babb. And I'm Sam Mason. And today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Dr. Daniel Sharda of Olivet Nazarene University. We get to talk to him about coronavirus, everybody's obviously favorite topic of 2020. We also get to discuss about the new contests and changes occurring right here at Olivet, as well as discussing how a large part of uh, large companies are starting to be fined by lawsuits by the Department of Justice. And we also have Mount Rushmore of Halloween candies. Purdue Pharma on Wednesday pled guilty to a felony charges for fueling the opioid crisis in America. The Department of Justice announced that the Purdue Pharma settled for an $8 billion fine. The Sackler family, who is in control of Purdue Pharma, will also pay a separate $225 million fine. Yeah, so this is obviously uh, a very big thing because Purdue Pharma did admit that they were one of the main contributors to the opioid crisis uh, right here in America. Um, the question for this week, Sam, is do you think that the charges that the Department of Justice gave to Purdue Pharma is uh, good enough? Does that, is that satisfied for how much damage they have caused because of the opioid crisis? Um, I feel like it's the best it's gonna be. I feel like it could be a little more extreme for as big of a damage as they've done. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like it's as good as it's gonna get. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely a very complex uh, situation right there because obviously, mm -hmm. you know, there is, there is going to be some bigger points, especially like when it comes to the owner and when it comes to yeah. uh, the people in charge of it. But obviously, like, it's going to be very difficult because the because we don't know, like, the specifics of the case. Obviously, Purdue Pharma did admit that, yes, you know, we did uh, contribute to it in a major portion. They did accept the funds. Uh, yeah. but, the big, but the big question, obviously, is, you know, is it enough? Because obviously, you said the Sackler family, who's in charge of uh, Purdue Pharma, is going to pay a separate uh, significant fine. But obviously, uh, we don't know what, what the future of Purdue Pharma is. Obviously, for me, I saw that they said that they're going to be contributing in a, in a good way of, you know, giving out medicine and other supplies that will help people not overdose and give us supplies to prevent uh, opioid addiction. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, that is a good thing. But, you know, I think that for me personally, I think the charges need to go more extensively to the top of the chain in terms mm -hmm. of the company because there is a failure of leadership because obviously they did make a lot of money because they are the largest uh, Oxycontin company in America. And that I think that that's just a failure of leadership on a top level chain going down. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Right. So obviously now uh, all of it is near the end of October. We have exciting events going on here uh, in Olivet. Uh, if anyone's feeling creative, there is a pumpkin carving contest sp uh, sponsored by the Haynes Bookstore. Uh, the submissions for the pumpkin carving contest have to be submitted by October 26th. Voting will occur on October 27th and 28th. First place winner will receive a $50 gift card to the Spirit Store. Second place gets 25 and third place gets 10. Sam, I saw some of the pumpkin carvings uh, that were submitted and they look absolutely amazing. So if you know anybody that's interested in this, uh, be sure you let them know. Okay. And, and another interesting uh, story that's going on here at Olivet is uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet will now be uh, video produced for anyone that wants to watch. 
uh, only live audiences are allowed there uh, if there's specific, uh, their own specific audiences. So if like, they're related to the cast members or if, if anybody on the casting crew wants somebody to be there, they are allowed there. But obviously, uh, a vast majority of the audience is not going to be there. It is going to be video produced this year. Uh, also, if anyone is interested in being in a musical, the spring musical auditions are taking place. Uh, it will occur on October 26th and 27th with callbacks on October 28th. Signups for dancing and singing must be turned in by October 25th. To all those that are auditioning for the spring musical, break a leg and good luck. The coronavirus update. As of October 22nd, there are only 11 active cases on Olivet, with only six isolating on campus and five isolating at home. This is a good sign as the number of cases drastically decreased over the course of a few weeks. Yeah, that is a good thing. You know, obviously, Sam, I was in quarantine because I did get exposed to several people who tested positive. Um, but it is, it is a good thing that you know, the number of cases has drastically decreased from, you know, 40 cases that we had, you know, two weeks ago to now that, you know, there's only barely above 10, which is a very good sign. It is showing that people are taking precautions, that they are mm -hmm. staying safe, they're staying healthy. To all the Olivet students and all the audiences out there, stay safe, uh, wash your hands, wear a mask, stay socially distanced, uh, like Sam and I are doing, we're doing this over a Zoom call. Uh, so obviously take precautions, stay safe, follow the protocols that states, uh, stores, and universities are implementing because obviously we're all in this together and this will eventually go away. So now we go into the interview with Dr. Daniel Sharda, very exciting guest uh, this week. We have to ask him about COVID-19, which is always fun. So here is Dr. Daniel Sharda. He got his PhD at Pennsylvania State University, otherwise known as Penn State. Is that right, Dr. Correct. Sharda? Yes. So if I say we are, what do you say? Penn State. Hey, you've done your homework. Well done. Yeah, I did. Do, I'm, a, I'm a college uh, sports guy. So obviously I did do my homework. I did want to make sure Pennsylvania State was Penn State. So he is a Nittany Lion at heart, ladies and gentlemen. He's a Nittany Lion. So uh, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Obviously, everybody's favorite topic is coronavirus. But I want to get to, I want the audience to get to know you. Uh, why did you decide to come to Olivet? Oh man, that's a long story, but I can make it really short. I, I needed a job. <laughs> <laughs> long uh, story the more, short. The more nuanced one was, you know, I knew I wanted to teach at a Christian university um, and uh, they did have an opening available, which was very convenient then. Mm -hmm. um, and so I interviewed here and uh, you know, the rest is history. There it is. Was there any point during the summer that you thought Olivet would not uh, open back up during in the fall due to COVID? Uh, sure, that was always a concern because we just didn't know you can make you can look at all the models and all the models were saying we should be in a good place as we head into the semester in terms of overall like Midwest United States numbers. I mean, we knew we weren't going to be perfect at that point mm -hmm. with zero cases or something like that. But Overall, it looked like the curve was going to be fairly low near the start of the school year, but you just never know. Be human behavior is a tricky beast, mm -hmm. and you just never know when that next outbreak is going to come because, you know, people decide to kind of go it alone, and they're going to do their own thing no matter what. Mm -hmm. So, uh, obviously, all of that 
um, came up with the Tiger Paws initiative. Uh, did you have a hand in that or like how much of an impact do you believe that you had or other professors had in creating the Tiger Paws initiative, not just for staff, but for students as well? Yeah, so the whole process here, I think one of the best things that we have going for us is it's been very collaborative. This is, this is a team effort all the way through. The Tiger Paws themselves were largely developed by our marketing group, 989, and health services uh, led by Mary Schweiger, our nurse practitioner. They were the ones that kind of uh, really drilled down to come up with the Tiger Paws logo and the 11 guidelines that come along with that. Um, but all along the way, you know, we have this group, we have a steering committee that's been talking about this all along the way, the whole group has kind of been kept up to date on where that's been going. And so we've all kind of had moments to speak into that process and what we felt was most important in that. So it's, it's been very collaborative. Um, how has COVID changed your daily events, like your day to day events? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> like everybody else. Uh, you know, the, the distancing and mask behavior, small groups, all that stuff just changes life dramatically. So for me, my life now is, you know, different on two fronts. I have my Olivet life and then I have my home life. And both of those are different. My Olivet life um, is mostly different in the classroom, right? It's different in my office too. When I'm walking around in my building, you know, as soon as I leave my office, I put on my mask. And so, you know, that part's a little bit different, but it's just wearing a mask and it's walking mm -hmm. around. That's not such a big difference. Um, when students come into my office to talk, we're wearing masks. That is different, but that's not that big of a difference. We're still able to communicate. The bigger differences are in the classroom, just having people spread out, especially like freshmen, classes there i haven't with juniors and seniors i've had time to build a relationship with them already in previous years so i already know them i already know what makes them tick i know what little jokes i can throw out there and i'm going to get you know this person or that person with the you know corny pun or something like that i don't know that with my freshmen yet and they're sitting there distanced behind a mask and so when i you know when i make a great pun now I, I can't see that little wry smile like, oh, that was a good one. I, I can't see that because it's behind a mask. Um, and because we're a little bit more distance, it makes it a little bit hard to do like group activities in class. So, you know, operating that way is the biggest difference probably for me here. Um, and then at home, life is very different as well. I have four young kids. And before COVID hit, they were, you know, involved in this, they were involved in that. And, you know, we were kind of playing, you know, get home and shuttle the kids around to all their different things. But now that's plummeted. Uh, those activities are fewer, much fewer and farther between. Um, you know, we just gatherings with other people, you know, we, we have bonfires with others and that sort of thing from time to time, but otherwise, those, those sorts of things uh, have been cut way down. And there are pluses and minuses. You know, the plus side is we are spending a lot more time together as a family. And there have been some really good bonding experiences through that, some really great discussions. And, um, but on the flip side, we're spending a lot more time together. 
and uh, sometimes a little too much time together, you know? <laughs> uh, that, that is true. Like being like holed up pretty much in your house for several months uh, with your family not being able to go outside can probably drive you a little bit stir crazy, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so obviously because of coronavirus when it first came out, not a lot of people knew what it was or had like very little understanding of it. And like, we're now about seven months into this, eight months into this process. So Dr. Shabba, like, what are some common like misunderstandings that you see amongst either other people that you know or some students in regards to COVID-19 that like you have seen through like following like the CDC or like looking into like what COVID-19 was and what the effects of it? That is a really good question. At this point, I think everybody's got the general idea down. I think the hardest thing for people to understand yet is that you can, that you're, you're symptomatic before you start experiencing any symptoms. Mm. Sorry, you're contagious before you're symptomatic. Okay. Right. And, and it's so hard because we're all doing these things. And so like right now you're talking to me, it seems like I'm healthy as can be. I'm talking to you, you seem as healthy as you could be, but truth is either one of us could have it right now. And tomorrow or the next day we could develop symptoms. Um, you know, we're doing this over Zoom. So even if I came down with it tomorrow, you know, you wouldn't have anything to worry about. Um, but if we're meeting together in person, I would look at you and I would think, well, yours, Peter looks totally healthy. Like I should be able to hang out really close with him and, and we shouldn't have to wear masks. Obviously he's not sick. I think that's the hardest thing for people to kind of wrap their minds around is, is to look at other people. And at that moment, they're totally looking healthy. How is it possible that they could be contagious with this thing? Um, so I think that makes it really hard then. And it makes it hard, honestly, when we, you know, when we're able to eat together, we, we, we take a moment of risk. We take off our masks and we eat together. So then it makes it really hard to then right after that go out somewhere and now we have to wear a mask when we're separated from one another. Like, how does that work? Uh -huh. um, I think that is probably another sort of misconception, like the collective risk that we all uh -huh. take on on a daily basis. We want to limit that collective risk as much as possible. We have to take some risk when we do some things like eat. But then right after we're done eating, we got to bring that risk back down again so that overall we're staying on top of this whole thing. Mm. I think that's the most most challenging. I don't know if that's a misconception or just the most challenging thing to do. Because I feel like at this point, most people at least understand the big items like masking, distancing, keeping your groups small. I think mm. most people understand that at this point. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, we've, we've all been through this for almost eight months now, essentially in this weird life that we're now living in <laughs> so far. And uh, and you were right. I mean, I had to quarantine because I ate dinner with somebody that, you know, tested positive and that's when I had to go into quarantine. So, I mean, you are right in the idea that there is a collective risk because, you know, when you go out to dinner with somebody, you know, one of them could be asymptomatic or test positive and the next, you know, like it's just a domino effect after that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. How have you seen God working in your life through COVID-19? Yeah. 
So I think in my life, it's been through community. It's seeing how different people are responding in this time. Early on in this whole crisis, very early on, like the you know first couple of weeks mm-hmm. into uh, the outbreak in the United States, I came home one day. At that point, all of that, we had already gone online for the spring semester. Um, but I was coming to my office to do my work here, and then I would go home. I came home one day and my wife's sitting behind a sewing machine and she's making a face mask. Uh, and I just was like, well, who's, who are you making a face mask for? And she's like, well, the, the nurses at the hospital are short face masks. And I just kind of looked at her like, no, not, you're not making a cloth face mask for healthcare workers. Like that's, we would never be in a position where we would need that in this country. Um, but sure enough, we were there where we needed face masks for our healthcare workers. Uh, and so she was making cloth face masks. And the cool thing about it is it wasn't just her. There's like a whole team of people across the city who were making these face masks in masks so that the healthcare workers could maintain some semblance of safety. And so seeing people come together in those moments and, and really support each other you know, we, we hear a lot about the noise and the angry people about this whole issue, uh, and I get it. Um, but seeing the people, seeing people come together and care for one another has just been, I'd say, something where I see God at work even in these moments, bringing people together. Uh, and you can see the compassion in people as they're um, participating in some of these things trying to understand, you know, and have these conversations like, what does it mean in this moment to love your neighbor? What is, what is God calling us to do? And how are we being called to do that? I'm seeing those conversations happen. Um, And in a lot of ways, that unifying effect gives me some hope, like seeing how much as on a whole, our country is doing pretty well with all of this. Uh, it gives me some hope that we're not as divided as sometimes it might seem if we, you know, turn on the news. Mm. And, and that is true. You know, I think that definitely this pandemic has really brought out, I think, a lot of good in people because we, you know, like you did, it's like your, like your wife was like creating uh, masks from the get go. And like, usually it's like, you think it's like, wow, that's like something that we don't really think about often is, like are our hospitals in short supply of, you know, just PPE, like protective equipment, just like to make sure that they're staying healthy and not being infected by coronavirus. So obviously, you know, thank, uh, thank her for that. I mean, like she's amazing for doing that, like caring about more than just herself in, the, in regards to you know, the pandemic. So I never want to applaud her for that. Um, another very hard question for you, doctor, is, um, Obviously, winter is coming. That's not a Game of Thrones reference. That's just a seasonal reference. What are some ways that students can stay healthy this winter? Because with winter comes the flu. Uh, So obviously, how can students stay healthy in the winter with flu and COVID-19 still probably sticking around during that time? Yeah. So I'll give you you two contradictory statements here. So one for the flu. One, uh, students can help stay healthy by getting their flu vaccine this year. Mm-hmm. Now, more than ever, it will be extremely helpful if we could just eliminate that from 
the background noise of sickness that would help us overall moving into the winter. It'd help everybody individually and it would help us together as a community. On the flip side of that is what's gonna sound a little contradictory. Um, all the things that we're doing for COVID are also really good for limiting the spread of flu. So uh, in the Southern hemisphere, for example, Southern hemisphere, it's colder in the summertime. And so that's when they experience their seasonal flu. And this year, you could see flu cases starting to go up and then COVID hit and everybody went into lockdown and other things and flu numbers just dropped off. They hit a cliff and they just almost flatlined for the rest of the season. And so instead of having these big curves that they normally see, they just saw this little blip, COVID, and then it just like flatlined. Almost, they, they experienced almost no flu season this year. Yeah because of distancing, masking, keeping groups small, those things were really great to help mm -hmm. keep flu down as well. So, um, you know, there are a lot of people who are concerned about the twin-demic of both the seasonal flu and COVID-19. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful that the seasonal flu will not be as bad this year because of all we're doing for the pandemic. But it will yeah, help. The more people that get vaccinated, the better our, our odds are of making sure that we don't have a flu season. Mm -hmm. And then like, obviously I don't have a PhD, so it's, it's definitely helpful get, uh, going to you uh, during this time because you are a doctor, you uh, have studied um, cardiovascular disease and you know, this COVID-19 for quite some time now. So you do have a vast knowledge in regards to, you know, obviously it's not just, oh, it'll just magically go away. It's like, no, like, there has to be a certain set of, you know, vaccines and distancing and, you know, making sure that you're taking all the precautions and preventing getting sick. But it's also very reassuring that you told us that, you know, the flu and the COVID-19 can both drop off if we all maintain the rules. Yeah. And that's really the key. Mm -hmm. As it's been all along, like, how can we stay healthy? How can we stay safe? Well, we can all practice distancing a little bit better. We can practice mask wearing a little bit better. Um, and we can, if we make sure we keep our groups, our close contacts small, mm -hmm. that's really key. All right. Uh, thanks for coming on, Dr. Sharda. We greatly appreciate you uh, taking your time with us. And uh, obviously, I will tell you this right now, I will be cheering on Penn State when they play Ohio State next week. Uh, great. Excellent. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, you guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. We could have you uh, back on in the future. Uh, who knows? But uh, right. we want we just want to thank you for your time on this podcast. Thank you very much. Sounds good. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much. We want to thank Dr. Daniel Sharda for coming on the podcast. That was a very fun interview, Sam. Yes, I totally agree. So let's go on to our next topic. On Tuesday, the Department of Justice filed an antitrust lawsuit on Google. The Department of Justice allegates that Google paid billions of dollars to other companies to make Google their default search engine, stifling competition from other companies. This comes after a year-long investigation into the tech giant by the Department of Justice. Google responded by claiming that the lawsuit is deeply flawed and is saying that people choose to be on Google. Yeah, so Sam, the big question is right now is, uh, because of this antitrust lawsuit, do you think that other big tech companies are now in danger of 
getting an antitrust lawsuit filed against them. Oh, for sure. I think like Google is uh, obviously one, but I feel like other uh, sites like Facebook and Twitter, they're also in danger mm. or other sources like that. Yeah, I, I do agree. I think that this is primarily a message that that the DOJ has sent towards other competitors regarding you know, their, their, their size and how much power they have and how much influence they have on other people. I saw that CBS uh, said that Google is used in nearly 90% of the world's web searches, which is absolutely insane how much you know, power they have just as one search engine. So I think that because I definitely do believe that uh, Google is definitely a monopoly when it comes to search engines because, I mean, uh, when it comes to other search engines like Firefox and Bing and Yahoo, nobody uses those primarily because Google is just so much more recommended. So I definitely think that this is a broadside shot by the Department of Justice in regards to uh, how much power and influence they have uh, as a company in terms of you know, for being a search engine and that sort of uh, por portion of competition. It's, it's Halloween, Sam. Uh, we have about one week till Halloween. And so we now go into our Mount Rushmore list of Halloween candies. Uh, so Sam, start us off with your Mount Rushmore, your first four picks of Halloween candies. Well, one has to be a payday. Mm. Payday? Uh, yeah, payday. Nice. Uh, my first one is going to be a crunch bar. A crunch okay. bar. I love crunch. I just love like the little tiny packets that they come in. Growing up, Hershey was not really given out a lot, so crunch is definitely on my list. Uh, my second one is a Twix bar. A Twix bar. Love okay. Twix. I have to say that my second one has to be an Almond Joy. An Almond Joy? Mm-hmm. Why, why an Almond Joy? Um, as a kid, I would used to um, bite the walnut out by itself and eat the coconut part separate. So it wasn't until like I was a little older that I enjoyed the taste together, but I don't know what it is because my whole family hates them, but they're just, they're a little treat to me. You're just that one wild card in the family that just likes Almond Joy. Yeah. <laughs> my third one. Oh, what's your third one? My third one is a Reese's. Okay, a Reese's bar. I, I mean, a, yeah, a Reese's. I can respect that. I can respect that. My third one is Lappy Tappy. Okay. Uh, Lappy Tappy. So I cannot take Reese's because that's obviously yours. Uh, but I, I think Laffy Taffy is, I think, a fixture of just candy for kids. Mm -hmm. At least like growing up, like, I was like, out, like, I knew so many people in my hometown that had Laffy Taffy out. Mm -hmm. Like, for trick-or-treating, like, Laffy Taffy said, here, take it. My final one, since you took Reese's, I cannot choose that. I'm going to choose, obviously, the fan favorite or Hershey's Bar. When they did have it, that was the house that everybody went to. And usually it was slim pickings by the time you got done because the bucket would be entirely empty. So mm. Hershey's bar. Okay, that, that's, that's respectable. I have to say that my fourth one has to be a Kit Kat. 
That's respectable. Okay, I just want to point out, is it the dark chocolate Kit Kat, white covered Kit Kat, or just a regular Kit Kat? Okay. As a kid, I did not like the dark chocolate ones. Dark chocolate's awful. Um, I've dark grown to like dark them. Dark <laughs> okay. I've grown that, to like that, the dark chocolate ones. Yeah, um, that, that, that's respectful. I'm just saying as a kid, mm-hmm. like you're thinking, oh, it's dark because it's in the mood for Halloween. And then you bite into it and just taste completely awful because it's dark <laughs> yeah. chocolate. That's so deceptive. <laughs> and, and, and from that point, I'm like, I know I have to either choose the red or I have to choose the white, like the white uh, chocolate covered mm-hmm. Reese uh, Kit Kat. I can't like the, the taste of dark chocolate for me as a kid, it ruined the taste of dark chocolate for me, period. It just, yeah, that, that is what it is. Like you're expecting, you're expecting as a kid, I want a regular Kit Kat, and then it's like, oh, it's like, oh man, this is just tastes disgusting. Like, what the heck? Don't do that, Kit Kat. Don't ever deceive kids into eating dark chocolate. We expect sweetness and sugar on Halloween, not disgusting, you know, black licorice type tasting. All right, uh, but that's our that's our Mount Rushmore list. Let us know what you guys think. Do you agree with my list? Do you agree with? Santos, who who think you who had the better list? Well, what is your Mount Rushmore of candies for Halloween? I'm Peter Babb. And I'm Sam Mason. And this has been Tiger Talk. Thank you for guys for joining us, and we will see you guys next week.